I said, what you know about it? It's the stool, baby. Got the knees in plus. Young stool, baby. And the room a lot. Hello, hello, you're listening to The Stew. My name is Jason Stewart. Andre Conaparo, say hello. Hello. Food podcast, no guest today, no brother. Mm. Just us. It's just us and all of these things that are happening in the food world. On a, f- on a food podcast island, the two of us just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I've been... Um, I've been deep in the food world of not eating as much of it in terms of dieting and fasting. What, tell me about this. I, I know that you haven't been eating, in, or last time we talked, you haven't been eating until like noon or one. Yeah, that's still going on. It's, it's even getting pushed a little bit more. I'm tweaking it a little bit more just to see what's, just to play around. I've been experimenting with it. You're pushing the edge of the envelope. Pushing the edge of the envelope, not Why the envelope. Is that? Just to just to see as like a test of strength, but like. But these things don't come randomly. What happened? Talk to me. Oh well, I'm I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, show me where he touched you. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I before I would I would do like eight hours of eating, sixteen hours of fasting, and now I'm I'm closer to eighteen six hours of eating, eighteen hours of fasting. At the got moment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just like you got that mischievous little grin on your face when you know that maybe what you're doing is not healthy, but you're just trying to see, check it out. I, 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 don't, I don't feel unhealthy. Sure. I feel good. Good. I, I enjoy how I feel. Mm-hmm. My, I feel like my body is, is doing a great job at eating food and being hungry and processing the food. Do you feel like this is every skit you've ever seen about somebody dieting like this on a show? Where they're just like, this is great. It's great. I love it. And then they just fall asleep like while driving a car like an hour later. <laughs> I mean, it, they're, they're, it's just I, maple, maple sugar, water, and cayenne. I just feel, I've never felt better. So, <clears throat> hey, I did, I did that. I know you've done that. That one I did not feel as good. But like, I'm, I'm, eating, I'm eating a lot of food. Are you eating 2,000 calories a day? I am eating 2,000 calories a day. Without alcohol? Without alcohol. Okay, fair. I'm eating 2,000 calories. Well, uh, some days I'm not. Some days I'm eating like 1,500 calories a day. Okay. But, which seems odd because I'm six feet, nine inches tall. No, not really. I mean, um, uh, But it's kind of a weird little no pain, no gain scenario that I'm in right now. Just Because just bef- before... I would I would never be hungry almost. Oh, you you just eat because that's what you do. You're like, oh, it's lunchtime. I'm gonna eat lunch. Dinner time. Eat dinner. Wake up. I'm gonna have uh, breakfast. And and now I'm like I'm like trying to reset all of that and see what I'm actually craving, when I'm craving, how much I need, how much I don't need. Uh, are you following any guidelines, or are you just kind of freestyling? I'm following like a guideline of how many calories I'm eating, and I'm following a guideline of making sure that the majority of it is very nutritious. Okay. 
So like today it's it's four thirty PM and I ate my first meal at two PM. Okay. Two and a half hours ago. It was a big old bowl of like wheat berries, sweet potatoes, um pinto beans that I cooked down with from chicken stock, um avocado, braised shard, rainbow shard straight from your mom. Sure. Some, some Greek yogurt, grass-fed Greek yog. There's some like raw Brussels sprout. Like it's all, and uh, and some like some chicken as well. Sounds like a great lunch. Just a fat ass bowl of nutrients. It's probably like mm, six hundred, seven hundred calories. I would say. What do you think about that? You just gave me a look of no, that, not a look of bewilderment, a look of thought. Trying to put it together, so chicken breast, yogurt. Yeah, I mean, you might you might be sli- sliding in there. I mean, you think, I, it, I you think it's under portions? No, I'd say over. Oh, over. Yeah, the portions. I thought it was over, but it, I, I and this is this is me weighing weighing ingredients. Oh, then and, you then and you calculating know. it. Sure, calculating it. Thinking wheat berries can be kind of high calorie. <clears throat> it was like a half cup. They're a little dense. Oh, you're fine. It's a large amount of food in total, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, I'd say it's around 700 cows. <laughs> You've been weighing yourself? Yeah. How's it going? I would say in the last month, I've lost five pounds. Yeah, yeah. That's a very healthy amount to lose in a month. Mm-hmm. Not too much? Not too much, but I've been, and I've also been exercising a lot. Mm-hmm. It's great. There is a time when, like, in the middle of the day, I feel as if I'm very tired. Mm-hmm. And then I'll take, like, a 12-minute nap, mm-hmm. have a cup of coffee, and I'm feeling good back again. On nights like tonight where I'll stay up late. Sure. Mm. But we'll we'll keep this progress going. We'll see what's going to happen. Yeah, I, it sounds like um, it's very thought out. Um it's just crazy, like the whole. Are you bored right now? Is that what's going on? Be honest. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm always bored. I'm always bored. There's <laughs> nothing that excites me anymore <laughs> except hunting humans. The well, most dangerous I mean, game. you might you might know of a, the similar journey of like. Neither of us are like overweight, nope. but we all, but we both, and all of our friends could could lose <clears throat> ten to twenty pounds of fat, perhaps. Maybe. Does that seem low or high? Seems high. Seems high. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, nobody's striving for like a six pack. Sure. Right. I think any anybody we know could lose ten to twenty pounds. Hmm. Are are you? Do you feel like you're? You could lose ten pounds. Sure. <laughs> but as far as friends, I don't know. Maybe. But that. But that those last ten pounds are real tough. Well, I mean, there's a difference between training to lose weight and being a healthy body weight. I mean, to say that you can, yes. Anybody we know could, from a body fat index count. Mm-hmm. But, like, as far as a healthy weight, I think almost all of our friends are extremely healthy weight as far as, you know, like, I think what you're talking about is physique and yeah, body but- image, not necessarily health. That's true. So oh, I don't, that's I'm not going to name names. So what I'm saying is like what you're talking about is weight loss from an appearance standpoint and still staying healthy. 
Yes. And that's one that's very different than like a healthy, a very healthy body weight, a natural body weight. Mm -hmm. But also we're living in a time where you could be 20 pounds overweight and technically obese. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Is that, is that true? Yeah. Like the certain, certain, depending on how much you weigh total for your body size and height and everything like that. Like you, you can not look fat, but still technically be on the obese side of things on like the on the on the scale. I thought you were the sliding scale of like healthy to. I mean, I think there's like three categories, and the last one being obese. But it's like fifteen to twenty pounds of weight on a sliding scale between them. Mm-hmm. Where you got some play in there, you know. You got a little jiggle room. It's literally some jiggle room. <laughs> you got some fold room, if you will. <laughs> but I feel, I mean, I'll be, it's not that fun to talk about, I guess, on a food podcast. But I also well, feel like it's an issue that if you're listening to a food podcast, you probably think about you're, you, you definitely could be thinking about it. Next week, we're doing a fried chicken podcast. So <laughs> we'll balance it out. Yeah. Speaking of chicken, I've been, I've been really thinking a lot about schmaltz. Mm hmm. Have you ever made schmaltz? I've skimmed schmaltz from making chicken stock and saved it. Mm-hmm. What did you use that schmaltz for? Uh, matzo ball soup, mm-hmm. making matzo balls. They, I mean, they say like basically a little bit of club soda and chicken schmaltz are two secrets to making really great matzo balls. Mm-hmm. Keep them light and fluffy. Um, and then you can use schmaltz like any kind of oil, cooking, olive oil, fried vegetables. Mm-hmm. I, I've been I've been in the in the brain zone of making schmaltz, and I've seen recipes, interesting recipes online where you you get like chicken thighs, mm-hmm. like get like four chicken thighs, boil them in water with an onion or celery or carrots, like you're making a stock. Get the fat, you know, drain drain the drain the the, the water, separate the fat from the broth, strain it. And then take the skins, chop them up into kind of small bites, and then cook those, render all the fat out of those skins, and then put more onions in there. So then the onions and the skins fry and get crispy, and then the fat is liquefied, and then you strain that, and then you have like chicken skin crispies with onion crispies, and then you have the schmaltz to then be refrigerated and rendered into like a solid form. That sounds incredible. It does sound incredible. And then Have you done it? What? Have you done it? I have not not I I'm planning on doing it as soon as possible. This week. Because I want to make I want to use that sh- that chicken schmaltz that's f- been flavored to make f- uh flour tortillas. Mhm. Replacing the lard that you would normally use in mm-hmm. a flour tortilla with chicken schmaltz. Do you think that'll work? Oh, 1000%. What Things would you add to the? Because normally it's like when you're thinking chicken, you're you're thinking like onion, rosemary, thyme, stuff like that. If you were to make, if you were to sup, supplement the flavor of the chicken fat for a specific tortilla setting, what things do you think you would add to it for more of a Mexi flavor? Um, you do whole cumin seed and whole coriander seed. Mm-hmm. Would make sense. I mean, you can do chilies. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I've, I've never done it, so I would just anything that I normally season. Or do you want anything. to not do anything because you want the tortilla flavor to be kind of a neutral thing? 
Well, I, I would. The first thing you have to figure out is how much you actually get seasoned when you do that. I mean, yeah. if you're doing cumin seed and coriander seed, there's going to be oil released cooking in the fat, so you'll probably get something out of there. But oh yeah, um, I mean, it's going to be subtle. It's not going to be overpowering, but I want it to to be noticeably there, but tastefully done. I mean, yeah, I can't. I can't. I don't have a reference for that kind of flavored schmaltz, so it just have to be trial and error. But anything that you would cook in like Mexican rice or a mole or anything, like I mean, mm-hmm. I think anything would work. Cinnamon sticks, clove, mm-hmm. corn, cumin, chili. Um, yeah, I, re- I really want to. I've been. I want to make like the tortilla with the schmaltz. Press that out. Cook the tortilla, and then. Just slather a bunch bunch of bunch of guacamole on mm-hmm. that tortilla, and then those chicken skin crispies with the onions. Put that all over that. A little, maybe a little pickled shallot, maybe a little cotija. Yeah. Do you think you could pickle shallots in tapatio? Is there enough vinegar in there? Tapatio is a popular Mexican hot sauce. I think you'd have to probably heat the tapatio up. I would imagine. Mm. But yeah, would I you do a quick pickle? I don't know. There's definitely. I would or would you just take like vinegar in it? Half vinegar, just regular vinegar, and mix that with the tapatio. Sure. Well, I don't know. Are you going to try and use the tapatio afterwards? Doesn't necessarily need to happen. That's cheaper than water, so it's all right. It's cheaper than. Well, is it cheaper than vinegar? Probably cheaper than vinegar. Um, cheaper than. Yeah, it's cheaper than vinegar, oddly enough. So we try it right now. Pause the pod and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine it would work. It's going to be a different bite than just kind of a normal um, vinegar, sugar, quick pickle. Mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully that tapatio flavor. Really is trying infused. to get the essences in there. <clears throat> yeah, man. Why not? Del, why not Del Scorcho? Is there enough? I mean, is is. I guess this, that would be even better. Just the same. I mean, I imagine it's the similar acid content as tapatio. All right. So if you're listening to this, get some shallots, thinly slice them into a deli container and fill it up with your favorite hot sauce for two days. I got a tote in my Will closet right now with 100 bags of Del Scorcho. There was originally so, 100 bags of Del Scorcho. How many are you down to? Well, I re-upped. You got more? Of course. <laughs> Maybe I had to re up. So, I got the package. That was what, a month ago you got the first one? Probably. So, in one month, you consumed 100 packets of Del Scorcho hot sauce. A few were doled out to friends as they were over, but yeah, I also forgot about it for like 10 days. So, and then was reminded it existed. And then, oh. so yeah, I can, yeah, very easy. Damn, son. I can take like 15 packets down with just a, a few tortilla chips and sitting in front of me. Easy. That's some jail shit right there, baby. It really is. <laughs> a whole packet of Del Scorcho on one tortilla chip. <laughs> Hood rich. I mean, that's either some jail shit or that's like top of the world, baby, kind I, of behavior. I, I get a little bit of a buzz from Del Scorcho. There's, Do a, you chem- really? there's a chemical brain thing. I don't think. No, not really. A little well, you, bit. You got a little body high from it? Or is it more of a mental brain high? I don't know. I just love it so much. <laughs> it's it's by far like out of like if you if you love a certain type of ranch or you love a, like Bojangles seasoning. Yeah, I think my guilty mass produced pleasure is Del Scorcho. Okay, I mean I can't find my Bojangles by the way. 
I was going to put it on um, a turkey burger. I was going to season a turkey burger patty with it and see what that was like. Mm. Jangle burger. I mean, I'm no, I know it would have been fantastic. Jangles, Jangles Unchained. Yeah. Have you put it on popcorn yet? Mm-mm. Well, I can't find it. <laughs> um, I have some if Although you want to Although we did pod with Anise at my house. <laughs> and I, I, I did use the bathroom for like a minute. You smell it. I right. didn't have eyes on him the whole time. You know, well, Anise is right around the corner. We'll go knock on his door and we'll do a, sh- we'll do a no-knock raid and yeah. find that jangles. <laughs> Telegram, bitch. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the, I think the biggest thing that's happened in the food world in terms of nerdy podcast food people is Lucky Peach announced that it is Dunzo. Let me cross that off. <laughs> mm-hmm. If we both have that on our notes, that means it's a good thing, though, right? Yeah. That means it's just noteworthy enough. And the follow-up is the closing of Pock Pock, too, in L.A. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll talk on about Tuesday. that. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, did you read the press release thing that he, that he wrote, Peter Meehan wrote? I read it. A lot of people were like, this is really bad. I read it quoted, but I read the article about the clashing of personalities and kind of behind-the-doors thing. I mean, it's really kind of it's not a failure of business because their ad revenue is up 130% from last year and their circulation was up like i don't know 10,000 issues or something it was definitely not on a downward trend it, it's not closing for lack of success it's closing because you know the the found the three founders are having kind of a conflict of personality slash ego mm-hmm. and they just don't want to i mean i don't know Easier to pull the plug than trudge Which ahead. is crazy to think, you know, I guess like if you have, oh, well, Dave Chang's got a controlling stake in it. I guess he's got the majority of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, whatever his conglomerate is called, his, so he his probably has empire. He has the majority stake, but he probably does the least for it since he's so busy, I'm assuming. I don't know. I mean, that would, that would make sense without knowing. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I can imagine... Yeah, I can imagine it starting in one place and ending up at the other creatively as far as direction and, and you know, there's, there's big heads in that room. Uh, it's sad to see it go, although, you know, there were issues that I thought were completely throwaway and there were issues that I saved. So, I mean, I wouldn't say consistency was a strong point, but certainly creativity was and something mm-hmm. no one else was doing was. When, when, so, what do you think? That, what, how much could their opinions have changed over the last few years? I don't know. I mean, look, the things that you put up with in the beginning of a business with somebody where you're just like, nah, it's fine, it's just them. Mm-hmm. This continues to, you know, get at you. And, it's, and <clears throat> much like you know, a marriage, eh? And success compiles, you know, that or, you know, compounds that. And mm-hmm. people's levels of success. Increase and decrease over the years. People's egos increase and decrease over the years. I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I think any scenario you can imagine about egos and them getting bigger with success and resentment for what people see as, oh, well, you know, the reason we're here is because of my brand and, well, the reason we've stayed here is because of my work. I mean, all those things go back and forth, and I can imagine that happening very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they stopped being published uh, early on. Um, by McSweeney's, you know, they started there and then they kind of moved on. And I, I mean, that alone kind of speaks to probably the, of where it started and where it headed. And, you know, 
I don't know. It's it's a it's a shame because there's nobody else even coming close to anything that they ever did. Whether I liked it or not, it was always something exciting to. Well, let's see what's in the issue and see what they attempted. Mm-hmm. But I agree with that. They had a seven-figure publishing deal for the the cookbook about eggs coming out. You know, really, that was reported in that article. So you know, it's a lot of money. I mean. Maybe not a lot of money for the Chang Empire, but a lot of money for a lot of people working in publishing. And just to have something successful being published, you know, in print is incredibly successful. But what I wasn't clear about was whether the brand was dead or if the publishing was going to stop or if it was mm-hmm. going to move into an online space or what. But, I, you know, that I think the beauty of that is I didn't really ever read it online. I liked the magazine, mm-hmm. and that was kind of it. And I don't know if it moved to... You know, I'd probably read an article here or there, but it's not like I'm going to bring that up every day. Mm-hmm. And they did Mind of a Chef, I believe, right? That L- TV show? Lucky Peach did? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I thought they did. I don't know. They could have. I'm not sure if they did or didn't. Which I think is which is probably my fave, cooking television. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully something still goes on and happens with them. What do you think about that? I think it... I mean... I think it seems very hard to run a successful business in the world of print media. And I like that they're still trying and waving the flag for it and and having a go at it. But uh, I mean, I guess if they were, if they didn't close because of sales problems, then that's just kind of dumb, I guess. Like, it seems so hard to have a successful publication. And getting harder and harder with every moment that passes. Yeah. So you hold on to that. You get through. You fight through it. I mean, I, I also can imagine that some of the, like, uh, yeah, I have no idea. This, they had so many big names in there that are easy to get once, you mm-hmm. know. But when you, like, you can't get Anthony Bourdain or Jonathan Gold or insert huge name here, you know, Wiley Dufresne, like you can't get them to do something every month, you know, like and for free. I don't know if anything, even that was on their mind or if that was an issue or if they were kind of like worried about that coming up. I have no idea. But, you know, that too, what put them, I think a lot of what put them on the map was huge, huge names that were willing to do something under a brand that was so creative and interesting. But then, you know, they're like, well... Calling in a lot of we're not we're not a columnist like (laughs) yeah I did that thing for you guys and uh, I think we're good (laughs) unless you want to start talking checks right but you know they don't have Bourdain money I'm assuming no no nobody's got that in the game nobody does um yeah sad to see you go Lucky Peach yep the but the the death rattle will be that egg cookbook so maybe that'll be good. The egg cookbook. Did you read the veggie cookbook they did? Mm-mm. Power Vegetables? No. It looked really cool. I liked the design for it. Didn't read it. I just never really uh, never really check out cookbooks anymore. It's so weird. Why is that? I do all the time. Love them. I love them, but I don't love them for cooking out of. Sure. I love them for, hey, I heard this person is a good writer and they do interesting things and the photos are cool or it's somebody that you know who did one and you want to support it or give it as a gift to somebody but i haven't cooked a dish out of a cookbook in a long time and and this is and this is because you just got too much creative juices going you don't need it you don't need you don't need the inspirato 
No, I mean, I think it's more the online presence of recipes. Oh. That's that's probably it. Like, even things that are in cookbooks, like, anytime you're like, oh, is there a recipe for this very specific thing from this specific restaurant, somewhere online, that exists. Somewhere, we'll, like, somebody at Bon Appetit went to this restaurant in Charleston, South Carolina, and found out how you make their this one specific fried green tomato bok choy brown mm-hmm. rice souffle, and it's all right there, and it's free, and it took one second to find. Yeah, that's a very. I mean, that's that's a very good point and a perfect answer to why. Um, although there are some cookbooks like the Koreatown Cookbook that are just so comprehensive and so interesting that mm-hmm. it's not one recipe. But yeah, there's a lot of cookbooks that I'll thumb through. But that's just me. I know that I'm not the majority. I mean, maybe I don't know. I know that many, many people use cookbooks to cook out of. Many and people use that- them to decorate their homes with, too. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's like, you know. Mm-hmm. That me. That's like... I think there's a lot of sales of cookbooks that don't, you know, you just you go to their house and you open it up and it's like, Greek! and you hear the spine crack for the first time. And you're like, have you ever looked at this? Like, yeah, I use it all the time. <laughs> well, I think, and it, and it sucks because like I have an Odalingi cookbook or two probably, mm-hmm. and I look don't at the we pic- all and I look at the don't we all I look at a picture and like that looks pretty good, and that's it. I never make it. I'm, I'm like, that's a cool-looking squash with pomegranate seeds. Awesome. Interesting things, but I just, ne- I'll just never cook it. I don't know why. But hopefully people st- keep, still keep doing that. But, I, but also I'm wondering what is going to be the next wave of the cookbook where I'm, I'm, I'm predicting and hoping that it's going to be more, more of kind of like a person's overall personality and writing and storytelling than just textbook recipes. What about VR? Oculus Rift cookbook. It could be that. It could be that. Is that what you're thinking? But like there's some, there's like this cookbook of this guy. It's like he has the number seven sandwich shop in New York where he's known for making like really, really far out weird sandwiches. And... I went to his rest. I went to the sandwich shop. It's like in the Ace Hotel in New York, and I got a sandwich, and I didn't really like it. And but people think it's good, and people like it. And I was listening to a podcast, and they were saying like, "Oh, this guy wrote a cookbook, and it's maybe like the funniest cookbook I've read in years." And I bought it, and I read it, and it was a bunch of inter- a bunch of recipes where it was like really cool, really interesting. I haven't cooked anything out of it. I have the book, but more of just like it was a pleasure to read. Mm-hmm. Because it's just a guy telling stories about this is how I came up with this and this is why I do this and then I'm and it's written in a fun and compelling way to where you even if you don't plan on reading it to cook things out of, you can just enjoy it and read it. So hopefully that's the way things are gonna be turning. I yeah, I mean uh, there's like that middle ground of I'll I'll get a cookbook if it's ethnic cuisine that I'm very into curious about and what do you mean by ethnic compar- um you notice like people that aren't american <laughs> got it <laughs> um but when it's something that kind of covers an overall food that isn't conveyed through a single recipe or an article mm. i mean that's something that'll get me to buy a book and something too that's okay. and something that is accessible that is interesting 
like the Camino cookbooks, one of the last ones that I really like. Um, I mean, except that I don't know everything in there is probably better over an open wood fire, but mm-hmm. um, it's the cookbooks that I don't like are the ones that are the the recipes are good but not super compelling, and they're also very complicated. It's just like I don't, I'm not, you know, like there's a lot of. I think the failure of most cookbooks to me lie in their difficulty. Really? Yeah, whether it's sourcing ingredients or time or or technique, it's like that appeals the least to me. I think in that I'm not big. And that, and I'm not big game hunting to impress people that come over. I'm more looking to make good food that's somewhere in between fun to make and interesting and exciting and and but you know like and that must suck to listen to you say that. Because you're, if you're saying like that, the difficulty of a recipe is what deters you the most. And if, and if you're, but you're like more advanced than the average bear in terms of the kitchen. Not deters me the most, but it has, like, it, there has to be like a risk versus reward as far as time put in to result. Like when somebody has a really complicated recipe for something that, you know, there's a great version of it that takes three hours less and a hundred dollars less in ingredients. Mm. It's kind of that diminishing returns of like it really needs to be something kind of stellar to be to take the investment of ingredients and time. Where it's like enchiladas, you know, I've seen some recipes for enchiladas and cookbooks mm. that take like three days, and it's like, <laughs> all right, fine, that's fine. Three days for enchiladas. Well, resting sauces, braising, cooling, right, but. At a certain point, it's like, but yeah, I make. I'm really happy with like the mole enchiladas that I make, or, or you know, like. Mm-hmm. So that can be. I've seen books like that. There's so many diminishing returns in the world of food. Well, if you talk to me, there is. A lot of people would argue against it. Some people would say that the highest peak is the one you want to reach, yeah. or the most expensive peak. But some of some of those things just don't make sense to a consumer home chef compared to a chef who has access to buying. Wholesale ingredients in large quantities, and you've got a uh, you got a twenty person kitchen to prep for you during the day. Yeah, like I always I always say you should. It's it's so dumb to try and make sushi at home. Well, anybody, I mean, to me, the idea of replicating a re- restaurant food on a really high level doesn't make any sense to me. Where it's it's kind of like. I don't know, the cost of doing that, and again, the time of doing it, which I just described basically, but it's different too when it's specifically to a restaurant where it's like, that that doesn't seem the point of cooking to me, to, you know, to be chasing, you know, a Michelin-starred chef and trying to replicate their dishes or you're getting the cookbook and you're like, oh, I'm going to try and make that. It's like, well, you should maybe just go to the restaurant and not, but that's Mm -hmm. such, such a personal thing. I mean, I think somebody who probably enjoys doing that has a sense of achievement and accomplishment that might be impressive. Yeah, I mean, to put it in the terms of my DJ lifestyle, it's the difference between remixing a song and creating a song from mm-hmm. scratch. Sure. You can get some pleasure from it, but ultimately... Mm. It's just it's just difficult, and it's you don't have the resources, and it's... I don't know, it's not the point. I don't, I don't, I don't find the point of replicating restaurant food at home in a way that, like... I agree with that. I don't know. Yeah, that's why Andre, you'll never catch him having pizza night at home <laughs> because he doesn't have a pizza oven. And most people don't unless you're a damn yeah. millionaire. Yeah. Unless uh, We're not doing the sushi night because we didn't buy a whole piece of tuna for $3,000 at no. a Japanese market and cut it up ourselves. But you might find me making pasta. 
You'll make a pasta. I mean, and I, you have made beer, and I feel like that's kind of teetering on the line of diminishing returns in terms of... No, a, I found it to be, and I, you know, I'll do it again when it sounds fun, for sure. I didn't mm-hmm. throw, I didn't throw the, t- the ring in, or the towel in, but um, I found that, you know, I guess that's the argument for somebody trying to make, to copy restaurant food, is that's the point, and that's like the hobby. Mm-hmm. Because I I found the beer making thing was to sit around with friends and make the beer and then bottle it and drink it. And nothing was better than anything I could buy. Not mm-hmm. even close. And all of it was very drinkable and fun. Nothing got thrown away. It was great. What about, uh, but, did you ever factor what the price per bottle was? Yeah, it was like, a, it was mildly like cheaper. Price. Oh, it was cheaper? It was mildly cheaper oh, per okay. bottle. Well, that's good. But I would assume that it wasn't. It was more of an activity, but, you know, there's like three of us making it and kind of one ringleader that was teaching me and my friend Scott how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the fun part, you know, but to imagine doing that by yourself, you know, making a really complicated dish for days like that doesn't appeal to me. Also, the beer thing resulted not, you know, resulted in a couple hundred bottles of beer because we were making <laughs> a couple batches at a time. Mm-hmm. It was incredible. That to do that for one meal is kind of, I don't know, very like chop wood, carry waters, and like in a way that like mm-hmm. the the effort was certainly rewarded more so than a single moment for making the beer. Sure, sure. I you know what I found to be the biggest turnoff to making the beer was really kind of the sterilization and cleanup required to make it safe and to make it good Mm -hmm. um that part is just exhausting and really does not appeal to me the spraying and and sanitizing and that Mm -hmm. it's somewhere between chemistry and baking as far as like measuring sanitizing all that stuff and a lot of things that i don't like about cooking (laughs) certain things so that that i don't like doing dishes either but i like drinking beer Mm -hmm. so that helped what else you got in those notes baby well, Pock Pock's closing, which is incredible. I mean, like, the, the effort that went into that, the thought, the attempts to do interesting things, and also kind of Andy Riker's, you know, he's got such a name for himself. Um, How many times did you go to Pock Pock? Not a lot. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I just, I, there's a lot of places I don't go that are... I went two that times. Are, look, I mean, I don't go to Bestia. They're not hurting. So it's kind of like, how many times have you been to Bestia? Two times. Yeah, there you go. So it's like, you know, the measurement of me going is not great because there's a lot of successful places that have kind of like big names that do well without my business. But you do, but, but I would, but it seems like you would care more about the success of Pock Pock than of Bestia. 100%. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's a very good point. Um, that I didn't go very often. Not to stir the pot. No, of, I think it's a valid, larb. No, I think it's a valid question. I don't know. Um, and it, it goes certainly back to what Andy wrote a lot about the you know kind of the ghettoizing of Asian cuisine that we all assume that it should be very cheap, and he mm-hmm. was trying to pay his back of the house you know a fair living wage, a very you know mm-hmm. more than you know a very responsible, reasonable living wage. Um, so. So why, why is there an, an hour and a half wait at Night Market Song every night? Well, and not. I mean, and at Pock Pock there was well because not enough people to keep the business open. Not to put words in his mouth, but I think he spent way more money than he ever thought he would. 
and and at a certain point had to i mean the build out the loans i'm sure for that place mm-hmm. how big it was mm-hmm. light market's what 14 tables mm-hmm. it's you know on sunset and echo park on a on a strip of like not necessarily super high rent mm-hmm. it will be i'm sure but um i mean he moved in downtown took like combined two restaurants like had a like two floors i mean it was so incredibly ambitious in its mm-hmm. scope but i mean yeah it's a i mean i don't think it failed because the food was bad and it didn't have a big enough following i think it was too big and it was too ambitious size wise and cost wise mm-hmm. and i think you know you know la has that i think he does good food and i like his food but i think the food's great but I'd never ate anything there where I was like, holy moly, I got well, to have this again. Well, if night market costs three times as much as it did, how often would you go? Same amount? No, way less. Yeah. So, I mean, there's also a cost comparison. I mean, there was, I think. But also, some... night market's not cheap. It's not crazy expensive, but for a place where they paint the walls pink and you sit on a plastic tablecloth. You know, it's a very bare bones decor. The food, the food's kind of expensive there. I think. I mean, I would imagine. You know that with his celebrity and his success all over the country, that he can't start somewhere small. He did Fat Thai, which was great. I mean, I, I think that. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know. It's very curious. That was also conceptual, and that. You had to season your own, your own pad thai like you would in in Thailand, and then, I mean, I think that's it, what do you think that, that does to you? Where you're like, I'm a, I have, I'm this guy who's like worldwide known as the white dude who went to Thailand and did it the right way, opened a restaurant in Portland, smashed success, guests on TV shows. Just killing it, and then you go to L.A., food capital of America, arguably Chinatown. I think you. I think what and I think what's two restaurants open and close in a year. Well, I think he closed because he didn't want to pull from the other. I mean, I imagine that Fatai didn't close because it was unsuccessful. Maybe it was very unsuccessful. Really? Yeah. Um, it's just. It's I think so for weird. somebody whose first restaurant started in Portland, your just your resentment and your prejudices against LA are just proven right immediately, where you're like, "Fuck this town." Yeah, and that's not no. fair. I don't think that that's a totally fair thing, but I think like where he started and as small as he started and what he's made and what he's done for Thai food, I think he's just like, Meh. or at least I shouldn't have listened to those people. I mean, look. I'm sure what got him there and what brought him there were people that wanted to do something huge that was, you know, mm-hmm. if not less about the food, just equal about the food as it would be the scene. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, uh, that, I don't know. That same kind of analogy, I feel like, works with, go, goes along with Chinatown in, as a whole in general of like Chinatown. It's the new neighborhood. It's the new hip upcoming place where it's cheap and affordable to do artistic things. Have an art gallery, a coffee shop, a bar, a restaurant. And you could do it and it's affordable and you could live there super cheap, but it just wasn't quite ready. And it's not like, oh, I'm going to buy a piece of real estate there and then in five years it's going to be 
worth so much more money it's going to be a wise investment it's kind of like do you think maybe it was too early to go into chinatown with that stuff i don't know but i don't know maybe the whole, I mean, the whole thing is so fascinating to me where like you have this idea and you're really good at what you do and it just falls flat on its face like i don't know like he everyone loves him yeah his food is good he's awesome he's super nice guy he's super smart yes super extremely. knowledgeable about all of this stuff and his food's incredibly authentic and it is. incredibly good and you're like i'm gonna do a, a restaurant that's just pad thai it's gonna be a, a very simple operation and you're gonna go there you're gonna get the pad thai and you're gonna but also like i mean he it's it's hard There's... and i don't know anybody that was like yo you have to try the pad thai at this place no. it's so good and and it makes me wonder like are we not but you able have to process this the way they do in time? Like, are our palates not aligned with what is going on here? Are we not able to appreciate it? Or is our skewed vision of what Pad Thai should be so different than what he's doing? And then when we look at the price, where I'm like, I can just go to 20,000 Thai places in LA, order a Pad Thai that tastes as good or better to me for half the price of this, and I don't have to season it myself because i don't know what the fuck any of this stuff is well it's not even twenty thousand places i mean if you go somewhere between jitlada sap coffee shop powered hoka like there's so many and then also night market to get out of actual thai town i mean it's 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 a saturated market of incredibly good and authentic thai food to begin with i mean like you mm-hmm. drop that restaurant into uh, there was a restaurant that I, I ate at outside of Seattle that was so incredibly good, and there's nothing else like it. Oh, yeah, shout out Kap, Kapsky, a friend of mine. He he tweeted me like, yo, that random place that Andre said he went to in Washington State, I went there, and it was fucking amazing. Yeah, I mean, and that's like, you go in there, also that place wasn't extremely expensive, but, I mean, it's not, you're not bringing something, I mean, of course he's bringing something that isn't here in small ways. But there's probably... You know, he's got his own personality, but... As far as like the paradigm shift of what was here and what wasn't here doesn't exist in LA bringing that kind of authentic food because it's already been here to an extent. Do you think there's a lot of Thai restaurants in Portland before he opened Pok Pok? I don't, I mean, I have no idea because I I don't know. But I would imagine when he did what he did and the success of it, I mean, it's certainly, I mean, there was obviously a market for it and people loved it. So I would imagine that that brand of Thai food maybe didn't exist. And certainly Pok Pok, the original one opened, I don't know when. But I know certainly quite a while ago yeah, before, I mean, you know, like that was in Portland before Night Market was even in a glimmer. And We've got to get Andy on the show. We need to talk to him about it. I mean, but it's, all, it's, it's so weird because it's like, it's like, are you cautious to ask him about it? Does he want to talk about it? Does anybody want to talk about it? Do you just, <clears throat> just don't, I don't, think, don't, he don't, speak I don't think he wants to talk about it to us. And I think right now he but probably just wants to be done with it and get out of there. But I would love to talk to him about it if, if he was yeah. if he was into it. I mean, I would love to hear what went on in his mind and all those things. I mean, it's um, I think the broad strokes that I've described, he would have extremely specific and and strong counterpoints to anything I just said, as far as saying that you know that it already existed in L.A. and there's certain dishes. I mean, yeah. 
I mean, he would have very clear examples of where he was sourcing, what he was making, what were the things that weren't made by anybody else in L.A. Do you think anyone is ever going to want expensive Thai food? <laughs> is there going to be a time when that comes around? Do you have to put truffles and uni on it to be able to charge $23 for a little bowl of curry? Well, I think... Who knows? If he put Pock Pock in I mean, look, West I don't, Hollywood, would it have been more fruitful if it was in Santa Monica instead of a dingy plaza in Chinatown? Would it have been a success? Who knows? Maybe. I think some people... Some people don't mind. I mean, if you got it, spend it. But some people don't bat an eye at cost. Or some people really get off at eating the most expensive place they can find. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I, you know, it's, it's almost stupid to say, like, yeah, I'm not a fan of spending a ton of money at a restaurant. Because I think most people aren't. Mm-hmm. But I would think, um, like you said, night market is more expensive than your, your average bear. And... I think when you look at certain things, when you can get a $20 all-you-can-eat Korean barbecue or you can go to parks and spend 50 60 bucks a person and it's not all-you-can-eat, I mean, I think there's a time and a place for it. And mm-hmm. I, think, I think yes, but I think you know, the quality between your average all-you-can-eat and parks is a lot farther apart as far as like on a scale of good and, and better. Mm-hmm. Parks is a lot better than your average barbecue. And was Pock Pock a lot better than Night Market or some of the bigger hits in Thai Town? Probably not to the non-discerning or, I mean, you know, the, if you spent time, the time and the money to really kind of compare what was going on at Pock Pock to everything else, mm-hmm. you could probably really f- make an argument for how good the food was and how many different dishes were on there and whatever rotating in was different. Yeah. But, but, you know, to go there a few times and then be like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, but also if, if, if his main, I think his main thing is how traditional and true it is to the proper way it's done in Thailand. The, the only way you could know that is by spending so much time in there. The only people who are really going to appreciate it are people from Thailand or who have been to Thailand a bunch who are like, wow, this tastes exactly like it tastes from this little village shack where I bought it off a guy on a motorcycle and it tastes just like that. It takes me back. It's so amazing. But all of those situations, when you bought that in Thailand, you're like, this was 75 cents in Thailand. Yeah. And it costs $18.83 here because they're using right. water spinach that's from the Santa Monica Farmer's Market and not from a swamp somewhere. <laughs> but you can't taste the difference. At all, yeah. Um, <laughs> the the amount of I, I feel like the, the 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 demographic of people who can truly appreciate just how traditional it is are going to be just an equal amount of people who also know how traditionally inexpensive it is. Oh man, I, I mean, racking I, the brain over it. I, I think it's a really interesting case of seeing something that is making something very good not succeed. And there's a lot of places that constantly close. I mean, there's places that close every week in L.A. You're like, yep, saw that coming. (laughs) And this is one, I mean, maybe saw it coming from, you know, rumors about it and seeing how big and expensive and what production was and that it wasn't always packed. 
But this is certainly one of the better places that I've ever eaten at in L.A. to see clothes. Mm-hmm. Andy, you need to start making some... Uh, what does he need to start making? <laughs> uh, do like an avocado toast, buddy. No, don't ever, don't ever do that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just a little kale salad on top of the what avocado you, toast. What if you did that? That'd be so crazy. Um, all right. Yeah, RIP, all of those things. So did you see that America's Test Kitchen did this this test with rice about the amount of water needed for making rice? Mm-hmm. And that they took six different kinds of rice from brown rice, jasmine, basmati, forbidden black rice, wild rice. And every single one of them, if you... I mean, they sous vide them, basically. They... They sealed, vacuum sealed them with a cup of water, and every single one of them came out perfect with one cup of water, proving that it has nothing to do with the amount of water. It's the time that certain rice needs to cook and the evaporation of water. Mm, so they vacuum sealed what, a cup of rice with a cup of water? Yeah. One to one ratio? One to one ratio for every single type of rice that they made, and they all came out perfect. It's more about knowing the pot that you're using or the type of cooking you're using and how much water is going to evaporate is what you need to figure out the perfect way to cook rice as opposed to going by just a normal general rule of ratio. And Do you have to vacuum seal it or can you just air seal it like how you would with a sous vide, cl- like clamp it onto the side? No, because it's all about locking in every single you know, mm-hmm. molecule is, molecule of moisture. But I guess if it is air sealed with the water, no, because it'll still. I mean, it'll get to a temperature where the water will push oh, yeah, itself this, out of yeah. the bag. Okay, so I you mean, have to vacuum seal it, right? Because there's liquid in the bag. So when you do like right. the normal kind of just like let the water pressure do a slight vacuum seal in the sous vide bag, mm-hmm. you're still releasing moisture out of that bag. Not to the degree that it's going to completely evaporate, but like when you're dropping a chicken breast, the point's not to having liquid in there. The point is to have, you know, is the cooking time water it. longer than making rice normally? No, I mean I, each one's a little bit different. Have Have you tried it yet? Well, I can't. They They have that wild vacuum. Sealer oh, you that need you the can crazy do. vacuum like yep, sealer. That one. Oh, so do even my. Yeah, the food server I got is a gift, which I like. It's incredible how hard it is to use with anything. <laughs> <laughs> like anything that Love exerts any, great. any amount of liquid. doesn't work with anything. Is a really, I mean, it's really hard for it to make a good seal. The only thing you've sealed is just like a piece of white bread? No, the perfect thing that you can seal are almonds. <laughs> That's about it. Like, even chicken breast, no oil added anything, the vacuum seal will pull a little bit of blood and moisture out to where it kind of, like, you have to, like, do it. That's not... Really? A little frustrating. Mmm. How much are those crazy suction guys? I think they start around 500 because I looked into one. It's kind of, I mean, and it's not, you can buy them. I've seen them used on Craigslist from restaurants, too. It's more about they're huge. Even the smaller ones are mm-hmm. big time kitchen space, heavy, brought mm-hmm. in and out. I mean, I'd love one. They're sick. Yeah, I don't know how much the big daddies cost, but they gotta be. They're not crazy expensive. They start, like I said, a few hundred the Backmaster Chamber Vacuum Sealer on Amazon Prime. 
764. Yeah, you can get lower than that. Damn. Um Yeah, I mean that's a great experiment that just nobody I feel like a restaurant with that has all the equipment would never even do that. But it's just one of those things where like this does the best job, great. Yep. I would like to try that. What when you when you do when you make pasta, dry pasta, not fresh pasta, do you do the thing where you put the water in you put it in the the pasta in the water and then bring it to and temperature. Then heat it up, or yeah. do you boil first and then dump it in when it's a roaring boil? No, I bring. Well, it depends on it depends on the uh, the type of pasta I'm using. Because if I'm gonna, I like to I like to put it in first and then bring the water to temperature. Because mm. my understanding is that it it leaches more starch, mm-hmm. which you know most of the time I'm using the pasta water for a sauce of some type. Mm-hmm. Um. But it, it's got to fit all the way in. So if you're using a really long bucatini or something mm. and it's half in, half out, then that's going to affect how it cooks. Do you ever take that bucatini and snap it in half? Do you do a bracatini? So not, not to make it fit, but sometimes, you know, like the fresh pasta I get from the Little Dom's Deli, it's, it's too long. Mm. So sometimes I cut that in half. Okay. It's not fun to eat that long. It's difficult. It, yeah, how long ago did people start doing that? I was I think it was like Alton Brown who discovered it maybe of just and I think it's the best and it, and it cook it comes it cooks faster mm-hmm. it cooks more it it cooks faster while being more controlled like it's weird like it cooks slower in less time if that I makes think it's more sense. about the water I mean my understanding is more about the water because as long as you're tasting the pasta as you're cooking it yeah you can really use whatever you can do whatever you want. And if we're in a drought, it's better for the environment. You're using half the amount of water because before it would always say like, right. get your biggest pot, fill it all the way up, get it to a roaring boil. You want as much water in there as as possible for it to move around and boil and and stay separated. Get it in your bathtub. So turn like, it to hot. Yeah. And now take a snow shovel. Now scoop it's... salt with it. <laughs> fill your bath with a snow shovel full of salt. And now you just put the pasta in the pot, fill it up like an inch, inch or two over the pasta, put a put some salt in there, boom, done, done, done. And then that water is so much, it's so milky. It looks like ramen stock. So much starch has leached out. And then with all that starch coming out, does that mean it's healthier because there's less starch in there? No. I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine that. That's is that the case. actually starch or is that just like dust? Is that pasta dust? Oh, I, I don't even know where to go with pasta dust. <laughs> Never heard the term. Well, okay, they say to rinse your rice yeah. before you boil it. Mm-hmm. Why, does, why don't people say rinse your pasta? It's got dust all over it. I think because you want that dust, and pasta never has a problem sticking to itself as long as you're stirring and you're not doing fresh pasta. You want that dust, don't you? But the reason why you want the you want to wash the rice is to get the starch off the grain so they don't stick together, so they have individual texture. Mm-hmm. What about doing a pre-soak on the pasta before you boil it? I just don't have a problem cooking dry pasta. <laughs> I never thought about a pre-soak. Neither did I. But what if it's better? It could be. Should yeah. we try it out? Yeah, you thought you thought your. You we could do a pre-soak in tapatio. You thought. You thought your boiling water was milky now. Yeah, wait till you see the oh, pre-soak. Oh, I, I soak my pasta overnight before I boil it, of course. I just put a little Del Scorcho in it before it gets to temp. Something to think about, man. What about Del Scorcho pasta? What about making fresh pasta with a little Scorch in it? 
Scorch instead of egg yolks. I like it. No, it's like a little bit of addition. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I mean, because before when I tried to make pink lasagna noodles and I would whip the eggs with red food coloring to make it red and then make that pink, making it look like uh, ham lunch meat, you could just do the same thing. Just mix tapatio with the eggs, whisk them together, slowly incorporate it into your pile of flour. Maybe if you're making Cincinnati spaghetti, which is spaghetti with chili on top, mm-hmm. season those, those noodles. This is good. This is interesting. A little tap. Tapatio pasta. A little scorch. Yeah. Put it through there. And then the sauce is only sour cream. It's just <laughs> no. It's just a carbonara that just consists of sour cream. And then on top, a little, uh, just a little shredded lettuce. I Ice made bird. a tostada bar this week for dinner, and it was great. What you're just describing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the invite, fam. It was uh, cooked down black beans. Um, what do you mean by cooked down? You know, in style. <laughs> um, I, so they weren't I, raw? No, no, no. I mean, they were cooked in just what, what I described earlier is coriander, cumin, cinnamon, ground chili. Water or stock? These, what? Um, probably a little bit of water. Mm hmm. Um, just a little bit, just enough to cover. Mm-hmm. And then turkey chili, or just turkey. Mm. And then chopped tomatoes, chopped iceberg lettuce, mm-hmm. chopped pickles. Oh, we're doing beef and pickle. And then sour cream, turkey and pickle. Um, sour cream. Did you season the turkey with taco seasoning? Del Scorcho. No. Mm. No, just well, I don't like doing that. Why not? Because those specific taco seasoning packet flavors are the ones that contrast with cheddar and pickle specifically. But I, I, for me, you know, this, there's so much seasoning in the beans that it's mm. taking basically a lot of the flavor that's in the taco seasoning. It's already going to be in the beans, but I'm making it my own. I can control the sodium because I get a lot of so I like to get a lot of sodium from hot sauce on top. So you're telling me the taco seasoning is not good for you? <laughs> the taco seasoning, I mean, it's always such trash. It is. It uh, is. And in, like in a trash way where I'm like, I don't, this is not fun. Like, this is kind of gross. It's like ramen, the ramen packet seasoning. Yeah. That might arguably be better. Like <laughs> oriental flavor. There's no, way that, there's no way anything is better for you than ramen. I'm not saying it's better packet. for you, but like, oh. I think like a bowl of, what's the brand? Like the, the OG brand, like Machiman or. Oh, of ramen. Yeah. 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 Or the oriental mm-hmm. beef chicken. Yeah. The oriental flavor was always my favorite, mm-hmm. and a bowl of that tastes really good. It's horrible for you, mm-hmm. but like to me, that's still kind of something that's like it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. But you, that packet of taco scenes is like it's salty. Can't really taste anything. Kind of tastes like that. I don't know. I'm not mad yeah. at it. Yeah. I'm, whenever I I use that whenever I make beef and pickle five layer dip. I knew that's why it's such trash when you bring that stupid dip over. <laughs> Just kidding. I love your dip. It's really good. I do, I love, found I do that. love your beef and pickle dip. It's good. There's always room for improvement, though. <clears throat> What's the best chip to go with a seven-layer or a five-layer beef and pickle dip? Albertson's tortilla chips, baby. Those are really good. Um, yeah, habicorn chips are too strong on their own. They are. They are for almost every dip. Yeah. Like if it's a really light kind of green goddess situation that kind of 
plays into those health food tamari flavors, sure. But not good for like a queso or a chili dip. I think it's too much for a, even guacamole. Can be. I, I, I'm on the line. I'm on the fence with that. For me, the havocorn chip is akin to a piece of traditional nigiri that you would find on Jiro Dreams of Sushi, <laughs> where they hand, uh, ironically and coincidentally, they hand you the havocorn chip and they say, no soy sauce. Yeah. And it's the one tortilla chip that does have soy sauce, where it's like, here's a chip, no salsa. It's no really, salsa. God, it's really good, though. Um, what, so I made brisket, uh, the, the sous vide brisket, and... Um, Thanks for the invite, dog. Found out, I found out that I can still ruin a recipe that I've done a million times. Did you, you did you do a corned beef brisket for St. Patrick's Day? No, I was going to, and I just got busy. But it was on my mind because I've never sous vide a corned beef, and I would imagine it's an incredible way to cook it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a piece of corned beef from the Whole Foods Hot Bar yesterday. Surprisingly delicious. Really? Yeah. They're still serving it, huh? They one must of, have one so of, much. One of the saltiest things I've put in my mouth yeah. in, in months. But very good. What I wanted to do was get... Um, Get one from Shriner's Deli and do one. You've never made corned beef by yourself from scratch, though, where you, like, brine it for no, five that, days? Well, I think it's more than that. Or uh, Yeah, it, it's like 12 or 10, or or maybe that's pastrami. But, yeah, corned beef is long process. I wants to do it. And you got to store it. You got to, like, you know, you know, you're putting it in, like, a bucket, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where that giant suction vacuum sealer would really come in handy, huh? Be incredible. Um, but yeah, I, I sous vide it and then put it in the oven and thought I had it because it usually goes in the oven for like two fifty. I mean, I, well, I didn't blow there to speak completely, but just my oven got too hot and I came back and it was like a little piece of beef jerky. No way, the whole thing, pretty much. So what I did was I did this like a Texas style chop brisket with a bunch of sauce. And it was totally edible. It was fine, mm-hmm. but it was the opposite of the intended texture and outcome of a moist, velvety slice. You can blow it. Once you think you got it, that's when you know you don't. You listening, kids? Take a knee. No. This can all go away tomorrow. It's like, you know, just got to get up. You live. You live to find another day. Mm-hmm. The jewel can only take you so far. Yeah. It was like, I pulled it out and it's like, oh, man, that doesn't look like it's supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you ate it all? Most of it, yeah. I mean, it was it was for my friend Johnny and his kid were visiting. Is there more at your house right now? No. Hmm. There is in the fridge right now a brisket vacuum sealed, ready to be made again. Good. Um, I'll come over in a few days and eat that when it's done cooking slowly. Um, this is the time of the show where we say the best thing that we ate all week. And for me, since I'm on a fucked up diet, I don't think anything I've eaten this week has been the best thing I ate this week. I mean, I've been eating good things, but I eat the same thing every day. What about Sunday? What was Sunday? I made dinner. Oh. Oh. Chicken rice. Chicken rice. And I made potatoes that you didn't eat because everyone ate them all. Yeah, but that's because they were good. Yeah, your chicken rice, like I said before, the best chicken rice I've ever had. And I've been to Singapore. It's just, mm, 
I don't know how. I mean, I do know exactly how you do it because I've seen you make it a bunch of times. But that is... Maybe I'll make that for dinner. You can eat that for dinner, right? Yeah, I mean, I could eat everything, baby. You can eat whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Unless it's not good for you or, you know. No, if it's not good for me, then I'll just have a little. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, tonight's Friday night. I'll probably have some alcoholic beverages. Bang. Those add up. Yeah. So that's why I'm about to pass out from hunger and lack of nutrients because I'm saving all those calories for beer, mm. whiskey, mm. poppers, mm. PCP. Where are you going? I'm coming. <laughs> Won't get wet. Um, yeah. And, and what was the what was the sauce that you made with that? Because that was that was probably my favorite part. It it, it appeared it looked like a, a wet coconut curry. But it was kind of like a sesame, sambali kind of situation. What was going on with that? Well, it's the same thing that I always make. I just blended it. I decided to try blending it for the first time. So what goes into it? It's got rice wine vinegar, sesame oil, sambal, a little gojujang, mm-hmm. um, mirin, mm. um, scallion. Mm. Um, am I leaving anything out? It's the least Ginger, complicated garlic? thing in the world. Sometimes... <sighs> I mean, I can't remember if I did it in there, but if I do and put it in the sauce, I grate it. Mm-hmm. It's not chopped. It it's tastes like great. Grated. The sauce is so good. What, is there anything that you would want to do to improve it, or is it right where you want it to be? Is it? Nah, it's kind of always changes a little bit. Like if I want it sweeter or more tart, more acid. What about um, thicker? No. You like that? You like the consistency? Yeah, I like it to be somewhere a little bit slightly thicker than soy sauce, but nowhere near a paste. Got it. Because I like it to hit the chicken and then go through it and then get into the rice as well. Mm. Like if it sat on top, it would change the whole texture and it wouldn't go across as evenly and you wouldn't use as much. You like it to seep in. Oh, and sometimes I think that one had a little miso in it too. Oh, yeah, it had miso. Mm. But yeah, that one one is delicious. It's a fish sauce. (laughs) So basically everything in an Asian pantry Mm -hmm. is in here. Yeah. There was no hoisin. No hoisin, no oyster sauce. No black, no black vinegar. What was the best thing you had all week? No, um, Andrea. There was no chicken finger sauce. <laughs> chicken finger sauce, Polynesian sauce from uh, Chick Fil A. No, it's like when you get the chicken fingers, um, chicken fingers in Asian in the Chinese restaurants in New York. They give you like it's a very specific sauce, and it's like it's basically Polynesian sauce. The orangey from, duck sauce yeah. situation. Uh, my favorite thing was at Hokan Noodle. I tried something on their menu that wasn't one of their noodle soups oh. that was... Hokan Noodle s- is a Thai restaurant in Hol- in the heart of Hollywood. Sure. Sunset and Gower. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was like a, a pork dish that was sliced pork, but they call it special secret pork, even though it's on the menu. And there was something going on. I don't know what it was. It was just incredible. It, it was like a very fish-heavy sauce, but it also wasn't too salty. Um, and it was served with Chinese broccoli. Was the pork crispy? No, it wasn't. No, no, no. So it didn't have any belly. It didn't have any belly on it, any fat on it. Mm. It wasn't like the fried um, crispy pork that's like ubiquitous on all those menus. Mm-hmm. It tasted like um, you know that it was walked and maybe pork tenderloin sliced into small pieces, and then they also sliced the Chinese broccoli. So the kind of like equal size pieces. So it's like flaps. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, it's great. It was surprise, shockingly tender. Um, 
I don't know. I think I'm going to try. That's something that, you know, when, it's, when I just want to giant rant about not trying to recreate something from a restaurant. That's more of something that I'm mm-hmm. talking about, you know, something, you have something insane that, it, that requires an uni foam. This is like something, I have a wok that seasoned really well and can get hot on my stove. And I think that's something I could try and chase a little bit. I like that. Because there's no ingredients that I can't get considering all the great Thai groceries and Asian groceries in L.A. anyway. Sure. So that might and be one I might come after. Very cheap. Yeah, not bad. Coming like at that. you, special secret pork. I wouldn't mind much of that. <clears throat> Thestewpodcast.com. Is our website where all of the episodes are at. If you like this show, tell a friend. Sorry about the ads. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> you know, ads. The ads are there so that it costs me less money to do this. And we can just keep bringing you this free show. Fast forward them. Um, Andre, say hi to your mom. Hi, Jill. Hi, hi Karen. I miss you. I miss you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.